0: Um, This is Tracy, and I've been working on my Marvel Madness LSI cartridge and um, it came with EPROMs and security chip and the slag chips missing so I installed four NOS flags, and Vernon installed all the EPROMs and then I even installed a Robuster security chip which I verified was working in a Marble Madness TTL version board so it's totally watchdogging and once in a while I can get it to flash an air on the screen about ROM at address 200 and I suspected that ls two forty. For, so I removed those, of course, and then I installed sockets and replaced those, but I'm just having the same behavior and I'm not where, sure to where to look next. Also, my pants fell off. ho, ho, ho it's
1: magic. You know, never believe it's not so. from KOYR Studios in Minneapolis, Minnesota, it's Arcade Radio. to episode 10 of the Arcade Radio Podcast. Today is Thursday, March 2nd, 2017. The time is now 8.15 p.m. Central. Thanks for joining us in the Arcadeosphere. This is your host, Commander Adama. I'm joined by the legendary Dan Reed and Mark Time Runner Shields and the guest host of Arcade Radio this week and host to thousands at the Midwest Gaming Classic, Mr. Dan Lucen. Welcome to the show.
2: Episode 10. This we is made it. it this far, huh? I'm surprised.
1: Yeah, 10. That's 10. nice. That's nice. Well, I'm on to I th-
0: was it. Was that it? Right. After this, it's going to be over.
1: At <laughs> 10, 10 is the cap. We decided no more after that. Make sure you aim your voice yeah. at your phone. You're kind of covering up your mic, I
0: think. Sorry, sorry. No, I, I moved it just a little bit there. <laughs> so that was totally me.
1: Dan <laughs> Luce, and welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Speaking of that, let's do uh, some short introductions. Dan, why don't you introduce yourself? Which Dan? Oh, that's right. We got two Dan's. We got two Tubins, about two Dan's. Two, you... We can fight till the death. Hey, hey, right, let's do it.
0: There can be only one.
2: I'm Dan Reed. Photo on Clove. Uh I also sell the Modern Journey arcade cassette interface board thingy that you can buy at paradisearcadeshop.com. Uh, Yeah, I'm not really very interesting tonight, so Mark. (laughs) Nice handoff. Okay, hi. This is Mark Shields, time
3: runner on The K-Love. I'm also uh, timemachinerental.com if you did something you uh, wish you hadn't done. And Uncle Rico Van, (laughs) if you want to throw a football over that mountain.
1: (laughs) I am Adam, the other host of the hosts that just introduced themselves. And I'm also... molester.: lesser of the hosts. Yes, I'm the... What? Any anyway, lesser, not molester.
2: He's <laughs> a molester? Oh, boy. Here That's we go. what I heard. Uh, Are you opening up an arcade in
1: Denver? <laughs> he <laughs> always did, puts his we, hand on my shoulder. We decided not to do that news article. Oh, my bad. <laughs> Moving on to our esteemed
0: guest, Dan Lucen. I'm Dan lucen I'm one of the guys who uh, helps to organize the yearly Gaming Classic.
2: Did you guys hear him? He claimed that he does everything. That's ridiculous.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I bring in like 400 games. I set up like 400 consoles and like, it's, it's pretty much me. <laughs> um, or like I, like I was actually telling you guys, I always felt kind of like, man, I just gotta tell people what to do. And then everybody else does all the cool stuff. I used to do all the cool stuff and that made me insane. So speaking of you know, doing cool stuff, organize people,
1: What, what are you working on these days, Dan? What's your, what, what's in the, in the hobby related? Well, obviously you're working on MGC, but is there something else like arcade related you want to share with us that you're working on?
0: Um, well, we bought a new house. We found it almost exactly a year ago. Now we bought it just after the show last year and I'm slowly converting the basement into my own arcade. Um, I had intended to have it done last summer and we didn't know that the mortar in the basement was really old and basically dirt. Oh, so no. uh yeah when I started uh, sweeping it off to clean it off and then start dropping my games off downstairs, they started falling off in chunks the size of my fist and there was worms living in it. So oh. uh I so far, along with one of my friends, has uh replaced three thousand forty pounds of mortar into the walls. Wow and, uh, yeah, I've moved some games down, um Super GT, Sega Super GT is the most recent one that I did something on. I got upgrade chips for it, which I did not even know existed until recently. Um, I'm real excited. It's actually also my newest game. I used to work with Chuck E. Cheese and I end up loving that game there and no one else loves it because it's way too hard to figure out what you're doing in an arcade. But um, I love it and so now I just found out that you can mirror all the tracks with these chips and this, this stupid but fun old school track on it. So, i'm happy as a clam with that and i've got a bunch of other games folded up here ready to uh go in once this basement gets a little bit more well now i need a ceiling because there's a duplex and my uh tenants upstairs don't need to hear me playing pinball all night
1: (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so that's great so that you're kind of working on your own home arcade right now so that's pretty cool and a new house that's that's a lot of stuff going on uh yeah,
0: yeah and you'd think that that would be enough but no i've got to run the Midwest gaming classic on top of that so and i'm the that's not my regular job so yeah,
1: for those that are listening that's the midwest gaming classic it's located in brookfield wisconsin and um it happens every spring and it's coming up in about a month we'll get to that in a little bit um dan reed what are you working on right now at home not a hell of a week there, uh
2: gents as a matter
1: of fact you should know about some of it
2: you came over for that's uh, right
1: i was over last week and helping out
2: yeah so this crawl has turned out to be quite the um uh community project so i got the j-rock board in my crawl nice and i found i went down to paradise arcade shop and i brought the original sticks and if you know what crawl is uh the joysticks are unique yeah, they're like bat.
1: Uh, really, they're yeah, bats. Yeah,
2: they're weird. Yeah, they're weird bat sticks. They're, they're almost shiny. like the uh, hap ones, but yeah, I, I don't know. They're longer and made of harder plastic and whatever, but they're unique. So I didn't really want to rebuild the uh, base of the joystick. So I went down there and tried to find a way to put the old stick in a new base. And Brian helped me out with that. Brian at uh, uh, Brian Armitage at
1: Paradise Arcade, right? Dude is awesome. So really we awesome. We plug he his show anything like every week. We plug, on the show, we plug his his shop every week. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like we do. So, so
2: Adam was kind enough to come over, and we started working on this thing. And then... Uh, oh, interesting we
1: problem. Were, the JAMA harness you had. Yeah. The J-Rock so board love, didn't fit yeah, in it.
2: Stupid J-Rock board is too big. So James, if you're listening, make your board the right size. Actually, dude. seriously. I,
1: I would guess that the harness is is not the right size either. It was probably a one-two one, two punch on that. We had to that file was... out the harness and just ever so slightly use an X-Acto knife to sort of cut off the edge of the the board a little bit, shave it down so it would fit inside the JAMA connector. It was very so, bizarre. So
2: then Adam's over and we're working on crawl and then we can't get something done and then Brian ends up driving over to my house and then he's working on my crawl and then we get the thing up and running and the monitor's gone nuts. So then Chris Rhodes ends up coming over and fixing my monitor in like three seconds, which made me feel like an idiot. idiot. And Did he jiggle the cable? No. Uh, oh. J-Rock, J-Rock boards, you have to have that extra pin set on the chassis of the monitor, or it's not going to sync properly. Hmm. And we didn't have the setup proper. It's embarrassing? Huh. And after that... Uh, my wife got a wild hair that she wanted a Frogger because we ended up selling our Frogger cocktail and Chris Coolis <laughs> is selling one on Craigslist. So I called him up. I'm like, hey, I need the Frogger. And up down the local barcade here was going to buy it. And so we got into a in-game with those guys. And then they decided that they weren't going to buy it. So I drove down there and picked up a Frogger. And then... I, when Chris was minute. here, he was making fun of my Ms. Pac-Man cocktail, and we got into a big discussion about that, and I ended up buying all-new Guts for that online, which ended up being bought from Todd Tucky, so it's been a hell of a week, gents. <laughs> Mark Shields, what do you got? Well,
3: I don't think I can top that, <laughs> but I'll try. I have mousetrap parts finally coming in. A friend of mine, Casey in Georgia, I believe, uh, bought has been buying multiple mousetraps and I'm getting his castoffs as much as you know that redheaded kid in, in the Partridge family used to get David Cassidy's castoffs. Same thing here. Nice. And um, so I'm excited. I'm going to get some coin doors and a drawer thing and an ISO. And I think I think really that's all I need. I have a I have a board that I I bought from Chris Gack. Yeah. <laughs> so that should be working. That guy's shifty.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. We should have him on the show. <laughs> we should. We've mentioned is him a guess? couple of times, uh, and I think he'd be a good guest. We should have him on. He is a pretty funny oh. guy. I like him a lot.
3: Done. Let's see what else. Uh, oh, and so on Friday, a Craigslist ad came up. I had, in 10 minutes, I'd called him. And what's funny is that he'd put in a, the phone number was wrong, but I, the area code, instead of 713, they'd put 714, but I figured it was a mistake. And I was like, well, this is one of those good mistakes. So I call and I figure out where they're at and they're like four miles away. And I jump in the Prius, I hook up the trailer and I go dry. I put my wife in the car with me so that you know she'll look cute and confuse the guy. And and then the, I get, and then so the first thing he gets us into this disgusting truck, and uh, like a trailer for a big you know eighteen wheeler that's just been parked for thirty years, and I get a Tempest and a Le, Atari Le Mans each for fifty dollars, which is pretty good. Yeah, that's Tempest. pretty good. Tempest is missing a lot of stuff. Oh, okay. Nope, no PCB. It does have the sixty one hundred tube. So, uh, and and I was able to find the. uh the assembly, the X, Y, whatever the, whatever little box that holds the flyback. So I'm not that far off.
1: Okay. I have so a, I have a spare Tempest board <clears throat> needs what? work though. Needs work. Does yeah. that mean doesn't work or <laughs> <laughs> means it doesn't work right now. It worked when I got it and it doesn't work right now. So I see. It hasn't been in a Tempest machine for a long time. So hmm. it would need to be gone over by somebody. Okay. But anyway, we could talk about that later nice
3: yeah uh yeah so those are my major things uh right. grabs that i got I, I did help facilitate another grab the next day at the same place uh which was pretty awesome cool and that involved two uh, four vector monitors uh, four vector uh games rather an asteroids asteroids deluxe a gravatar and a battle zone all for a hundred dollars each nice the deals are out there friends
1: sounds like a, i i actually kind of hate listening to you so,
3: <laughs> hey, but, I, I got better deals when i was in minnesota
1: Ah, uh, well you you have facilitated a, a great deal for me which is my my story is that my powder-coated parts for the pac-man came back today. so oh, yeah. yeah i got the the control panel sitting right here it's looking beautiful it's um got the overlay on it i got some fresh buttons from brian mcleod armitage's paradise arcade shop in minneapolis minnesota shameless plug Uh (laughs) and i got that guy i know i was gonna have him on the show again but we talk about him so much we don't even need to so then i got um the interesting thing i did is i took the the joystick housings for the pac-man and i had them powder coat them yellow so when you open up the control panel to work on it or uh you're gonna see a nice yellow uh joystick
2: not original it is original. It is you're a criminal. <laughs>
1: it's, a, it's it's an original. You're a criminal. Yeah. <laughs> you might as well name it if you're going to do the joysticks yellow. <laughs> well, no one's going to see it. So then the other thing I did is I, I powder coated the coin shoot, shoots yellow on the inside of the coin door. So when I empty the coins out, I get to see that. Too, a criminal. So. Coin shoot. Yeah. A criminal. So, you know, and then I helped Dan out a couple weeks ago and I went on vacation to Arizona last weekend. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about. That
2: uh, Cobra Arcade thing you went
1: to? Yeah, so I I visited Cobra Arcade first. uh, We pulled in there, and there was actually this place called Revolver Records, so I went in there for like an hour and bought a bunch of records and then um, we went over to Cobra Arcade which was uh, on the last show we, we mentioned The List which listed uh, the uh, Cobra Arcade as one of the coolest arcades in the US. I don't know how they, they rated that if they went to 10 arcades and said these are the top 10 arcades um, <laughs> but no no slam on Cobra is pretty cool. Uh, it had a really good nightclub vibe um, and they had a, a really good cross section of classic and 90s games um, 80s and 90s games. Games and they and the owner I got to meet him. Um, I got somebody to bring him over, so I talked to him for a bit. And it turns out he uh, he had been scooping up games on CL for a while at Craigslist, and he um, would buy them for fifty or hundred bucks, fix up the the games, and then um, often there wasn't side art for them at the time that he was acquiring them. So or he just simply didn't have the money at the time or whatever. So he he's actually painting murals on the side of his games, which are just they're amazing. He's got a, on his TMNT, he's got a, a mural of the, of the turtles on the side, his NBA jam. He's got like, uh, crazy, crazy art on it. And then he's got a, a Simpsons, and it's all hand drawn hand painted and and normally I'm like a purist, and I'd be like, you know, find the original art and restore it. but if you bought these games for you know fifty hundred bucks and they weren't in that great a shape anyway, I don't really fault them for putting some paint on them and make them look cool. so
3: I was, know i I got a Donkey Kong once, and somebody had drawn a beautiful penis
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, so a uh, really great bar um and um, they have a big huge garage door that opens up, and since it's Arizona, you know. It's an open bar, open open uh, door, and just a really cool little patio area. So it was cool. Um, if I had to compare it to, say, up-down here in Minneapolis, I'd say up-down wins hands down, but, um, you know, there's a lot more classic selections there. They also have an ice-cold beer, which is, like, awesome, and skee-ball. And um, Cobra is basically, you know, a few rooms of arcades uh, and a row of uh, four pinballs, and they're all modern. So, well, ex- with the exception of... Uh, What's the one that's Mars attacks, but it's a return?
0: Is it return? Return from God, I own that game. Yeah, uh, Mars or whatever. Return it's, from Mars. Yeah, no. it's
1: a, Mars attacks return. I don't a, know.
0: Revenge, revenge, revenge from Mars. For for Mars. Was, oh, yeah. You know,
1: anyway, a, he had that it was great. I played that. Um, then he had. Story. I literally
0: can see my playfield for that game. <laughs> where we're sitting. I can't figure out this name. And
1: then, and then <laughs> um, he had Star Trek, um, and two other modern ones. I can't remember because I was just like not interested because I had seen Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, which is fun. That's a good game, I think. But uh, You think? You used to own one. Star Trek? What the? Yeah. No, pinball. Star Trek pinball. Stern. Oh. Yeah, and then and then uh, they had a Star Wars trilogy uh, arcade game, and I played that, and I, I was reminded why I hate that game. It's so boring. I'm sorry to trilogy fans out there, but it ain't got nothing on the original Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back games from 83 and 84, so it doesn't say
0: much. I don't. I don't understand that game either. And my son, who is seven, absolutely adores it. We went to uh, GameWorks a few weeks ago, and they have, like, the new... Pod. Star Wars Battle Pod that's like 360 view where you go in and it blows air at you and you feel like you're going to barf or at least I did. <laughs> and he could have cared less about that which I thought was amazing and he was like no I want to play this and like the one that they had there, its joystick was all screwed up and he was just like I'm playing this again I'm playing this guy I was like really there's like the Pod Racer that's cooler there's this Battle Pod thing that's way cooler and you want to play that one? Okay. So, so, he played, so yeah I've he never played quite the... understood the appeal of that one either.
1: He played Trilogy or Pod
0: Racer? He played Trilogy okay. over and over. Yeah, uh, tri- we got the uh, we got the two year old by Racer, which is hilarious because the, our two year old son <laughs> Elias looks kind of like Anakin. So uh, <laughs> if you look back far enough in the Midwest Gaming Classic Facebook feed, you can actually find the picture of some little kid um, on and, and, and it says something about like the thrill of the arcade, and that's totally my son on that game there.
1: Anakin Double, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, the, actually, the, the, the immersive pod game that, that, that came out with that you were just talking about I like that better than trilogy, but both of those games um, have that feature where they, they basically just fly you down a path and you have no control over the ship, and you just shoot at stuff. It's a shooting gallery game is what it is. You're just aiming at stuff and shooting.
3: Ruin the magic, come on? Are you talking the battle Pod? Yeah, battle pod. Yeah,
2: we got a couple of those at the Mall of America, and yeah, a I like I'm it. six I'm six foot four. So getting in this thing, I felt like my face is pressed up against the front of it, and it looked like a big blurry mess. And I felt like a fan was blowing on me.
0: <laughs> There's sucked. a fan blowing on you. It's supposed it, to do that. I'm guessing it's, it's supposed so. to blow on you to make you slightly n- less nauseous. Because yeah. holy Hannah, for me, I would I. Love roller coasters, go on roller coasters all the time. But stuff like that bothers me, and like I literally could not play an entire game without shutting my eyes because I was like, "I'm going to puke if I keep watching this." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, said that it's, it's cool tech. Wasn't yeah, it blurry to you, like staring at that? It thing? wasn't I was like, blurry to I can't me. See shit, it wasn't blurry to yeah, me. Yeah, I either. don't know. Maybe maybe the screens were better adjusted or something like that. The game works that we have. uh that's in Schwamberg, Illinois. I, I guess that we don't have it, but down south they have it. Uh, they keep their games in pretty darn good condition for the most part, and so it was. It played really nicely, but yeah, I just I couldn't watch it for long. Don't want to be seven again.
1: <laughs> so we've talked about um, what we're working on and and all that jazz. I, I think um, it's the arcade news with Don.
2: All right, boys, we're going to try something a little bit different today, so we're going to go through the news really quick, and then we have a top 10 list that we're going to cover in depth. Okay. So, via TechCrunch, Amazon-owned video game streaming site Twitch announced that it will now
1: sell (laughs) games directly on its platform. Just a second, Chris Gack is
2: (laughs) listening to the show. Oh, dear God, no.
1: He's like, damn it, dinner started to burn. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry for ruining your dinner. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I had to interject there. Anyway, back to the news. <laughs> he should, uh, he should call in. Yeah. Well, he could, except for the phone's turned off. He'd get the voicemail. So.
2: Amazon-owned video game streaming site Twitch announced this morning that it will now sell games directly on its platform. This is a terrible idea. I just have to say this, guys, right away, because. Uh... <laughs> it's the
3: negative news with Dan Reed. <laughs> I know. I mean, everybody just uses Twitch for masturbation. So come on. <laughs>
1: Oh, wait a oh, minute, I, I thought that was that. a Can gaming... Do that on Twitch? What? I,
3: thought, I... I thought
2: it was just for game streaming.
1: It is for game <laughs> streaming.
2: Oh, that. Game okay. streaming. Uh, I retract uh, that. And in uh, <laughs> crybaby news, <laughs> video games are the key to world peace. Peace. Toronto researcher examines empathy games. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to cover this very briefly because if I take too much more time on this whole... I'm just getting mad thinking about it, so let's just... <laughs> I'm going to cover that because it's just going to piss me off. All All right, right. so top 21 video game stats.
1: Interesting. That will blow your mind. They're going to blow our mind. This is one of those.
2: It's already blown my mind that the top 10
0: list became 21. Yeah. You better just be quiet there.
2: (laughs) I was was only going to do the top 10 because I was going to talk about this uh, empathy video game thing, but I'm just too mad about it, so I got to move on. So now we're doing 21. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) All right, number 20. Global <laughs> revenue in the esports industry rose an even more impressive 51.7% to $493 million in 2016 and is expected to approach $1.5 billion by 2020. How do you guys feel about esports?
1: I don't know, but didn't we? Did, what happened to number 21? Oh, I'm not doing 21. Oh, okay. Changement the name. Mm-hmm. Which stat are you on anyway? I don't even know. Number where twenty. Fantasy football. Oh, okay, we're going backwards, right? Well, yeah, counting down. Well, actually, you don't need to count down on these. I, I read them and they're in order, and they actually <laughs> feed on each other. What? You want do this? Sure,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Number 19, an even more powerful growth driver for the gaming industry is the funny. emergence of esports. The global audience... Re- oh, I see what you're saying here. Yeah, they,
0: the they feed on uh, each well, other.
2: I don't even care about esports. Let's just go right to
1: Let's Go from one. the number one.
0: I'm curious who does, honestly. Like, yeah, I, I yeah. will admit that at the Midwest Gaming Classic, there's people that, like, talk to me about it, and they're like, oh, yeah. Like, we get... We get probably twenty or thirty sponsorship requests every year, and they're like, "Yeah, if you pay us like a thousand bucks, we'll we'll wear your shirts." And I'm thinking to myself, first of all, we don't really have a thousand bucks ever. <laughs> Second of all, what will you wearing my shirts get me back? Like, I don't get it. Who who is watching this? I know I know literally thousands of people who are gamers, and I'm not sure who's watching it. And so I'm not meaning this as a knock. So if someone's listening to this and going like, "Wow, that losing guy's a real jerk," that's not what I mean. But email me and tell me what it is that you like about this, where you're doing this and stuff like that. Cause like when Nintendo revealed the switch, they had them like walking out into an arena and like putting down their switches on the table and being like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to fight. And I was thinking like, where's this arena and who cares? Right? I've never seen that happen. American we actually, years. Yeah. We actually, a few years ago, um, we, there's an arena in downtown Milwaukee and as a cross promotion for the show, we did guitar hero on the big screen in the middle of the arena, which I thought was amazing. And it was interactive enough because it's guitar hero. So it's like an arcade game. And, um, I believe that approximately two people in the entire arena cared. (laughs) So, so like, I just don't know where this market actually is. I'm kind of curious to hear more about it. I'd love to know more about it because I always, I like to understand parts of gaming that I really don't understand. And I keep hearing this like, Oh yeah. And I, it makes me wonder is it like people are going on to some gambling site and saying, well, I'm betting on myself to win this game and that's esports because I suppose it is. But uh, we have the Bradley center and, uh, in town, and yeah, it's an old stadium that sucks, but I've never heard of an esports thing coming to it and selling a ticket. So, yeah. where are these tickets coming from?
2: Well, I think it's StarCraft, isn't it? That's the major <laughs> one that I knew of, but that might have been, I might be dating myself. That might be
0: back. StarCraft is both really old, and who, I mean, they, I guess it's a new, recent one, but who's paying to watch people play that? Nobody. Then, how know. is this a half billion dollar thing? So I, I, I maybe like I get advertising I just, on I Twitch, step, but I don't get. Yeah. Well,
1: let's start from number one, Dan. We'll, we'll go down to number 19 and give up. Sorry. That's all I right. Go. Uh,
2: okay. So there, there are, are, yeah, there are more than 2 billion video game players worldwide. According to market intelligence company, new Zoo. That's a lot of Two, people. 2 billion. I yeah. don't know. I guess. So, uh, here in the United States, 63% of households have at least one person who plays video games regularly. Three that's hours me. more per week. Well, that's not me. Oh. Well, 40% of U.S. households own a dedicated game console.
1: Don't care. Yeah, that's well, my wife. We all do. We all own a console, right?
0: All of us. Yeah, how else was I like going to play at Blu-ray? Jeez. <laughs> exactly.
1: Actually, yep. that's coming up as a stat, I think.
0: You no, know, that's <laughs> funny because, yeah, I uh, my brother-in-law calls me the dealer that doesn't do the drug because I have every new game system, and like I would never get to play any of them just because of my time. Yep. I was telling someone I'm picking up a Nintendo switch tomorrow and they were like, Oh, that's so cool. What game are you getting? And I looked at him and I was like, Oh, I didn't even think about games. And he was like, what are you going to play on it? And I said, I don't know. I was just going to put it in the basement for time being we need for the show. And he goes, but what are you going to do with it? I said, I don't know. It's going to sit in the basement for a month and then I'll take it out and figure out what I'm going to do with it right before the show. So yeah, it's uh it's a little bit different, sadly. Okay. And uh,
2: number three, and it's not just kids who are playing these games. The average gamer is 35 years old.
1: Which, yeah, that kind of makes that. sense, you know. That's for me. In That's fact, while 27% of game players are under 18, 26 are 50 years old or older. That's number four.
3: Mark, number five. As for gender, 59% of game players are male and 41% are female. Sorry, 59% dudes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Actually, 9%, right? 9% are going to miss out. So um, moving on to number six.
2: Oh, we're going to skip number six. That's
1: boring. Number seven, moreover, the more frequent gamers who
2: play multiplayer and online games <laughs> spend an average of six and a half hours per week playing with others online. I believe that. I play The Division a lot.
1: I play Rocket League. I
2: don't even know what that is. It's what is, a- that? is that
1: that car game? Yeah. Okay.
2: Hmm. Sakar, uh, and a sign that the industry has won increased parental approval. Sixty-eight percent of parents say video gamers are a positive part of their. Oh, video games are a positive part of their child's life, and sixty-two percent of parents whose children are gamers play computer and video games with their children
1: at least weekly. Do you guys do that? I don't play, play video games with your kids. No. I actually I play Minecraft with Aiden and Lily sometimes. Really? Yeah, yeah. we play. Sometimes we'll just pick, take a Saturday. And we'll just like blow the whole first part of the day on Minecraft. I'll set up a new server. We'll start, you know, from scratch. Do a survival. I'm probably gonna get lynched for saying this, but I've never even seen Minecraft.
2: It's huh. pretty cool. There appear to be benefits to video game playing in addition to just having fun. One of the most frequent gamers, seventy-five uh, uh, of the
1: of the most frequent gamers. Yeah.
2: Yeah, these perceived benefits are likely contributing to the growth. Of the U.S. don't care on a global <laughs> basis. Video game market. Oh, here you go. On a global basis, the video game market reached ninety nine point six billion in revenue in twenty sixteen, up eight and a half percent compared to twenty fifteen. Zoo, again
1: reports yep. that. Yeah, China, which like the U.S. accounts for nearly a quarter of all global game revenues, is expected to approach twenty nine billion in game revenue by twenty nineteen, up from twenty four point four billion in twenty sixteen. What is that like, World of Warcraft? Do you think? I don't know. I don't know what they play.
0: Hmm. They've been just starting to get consoles, I believe. Interesting. Hmm. So, on a
1: global basis, the video game market reached ninety-nine point six billion dollars in revenue in 2016, up to eight, up eight point five percent compared to 2015, according to Nuzu.
2: And that's all
1: fifty. And that's all for the arcade radio news. That's it. Dan, 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 yeah, Dan. Dan. All right. Well, uh, that's it. That's uh, no more stats. It's nope, kind no of more stats. That was it. Those all twenty-one. I do have one more that might be interesting to discuss because I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know. I just, virtual reality appears to have a bright future within gaming. It says 50% of the <laughs> frequent gamers who are familiar with virtual reality and tend to play games on VR. And 40% say they will purchase a VR something or another within the next year, according to the ESA. I don't think this is true. That's not true.
2: But uh, on a weird side note, I did hear recently that Sony has sold more VR-enabled
1: PlayStation well, 4 Pros. maybe it just means there. us old guys aren't going to buy it. Cause no, no one's no. going to buy it. it Dan, would, do you have a VR section this year at MGC?
0: Yeah, there's going to be some stuff VR there. Like um, Oculus
1: Rift and all that kind of stuff? What do you got going?
0: Yeah, yeah, we uh, well, we have a bunch of new developers that come and set up in some of the back halls. And so they, a couple of years ago, Uh, One of the more interesting VR things that I've ever tried was a place came and I sat down and I tried what was basically the original Zelda game, but in 3D. And yeah, I played it for about a minute and was so, like, I had to kill one of those stupid red things with the, like, nozzle noses. (laughs) And I, I couldn't, like, I was having... Big trouble controlling it because I mean yeah. it's beta, so it is what it is, but I was like, No, I've gotta kill this thing, it's too cool. I killed it, and then I literally went outside and sat with my head in my hands for forty five minutes trying not to puke. Oh um, yeah. I I get so bothered by that stuff, but I do think I don't know, it's interesting. I have people who I know who are so sold on it, and I I actually some of my background is in theme parks and I question it because in the theme park world in the nineties, uh, <laughs> there was a lot of stuff that came up where people were saying, "Oh, the future is all simulators because simulators can do everything that like roller coasters and other rides can do, but better. Yeah. Yeah, and then you can change them out every few months in the future of the theme park. I remember articles that where you're going to go to what looks like a movie theater and just go theater to theater and keep riding the different rides all day because they're all going to be simulators. And The park that I had actually worked at for a while, the most expensive ride that we had installed to that date was a simulator, and the simulator got torn out a few years ago because no one cared. And (laughs) now theme parks are all about putting VR on roller coasters too, where you go and you get a headset on a roller coaster, and as you ride the actual ride, you can look around and you can feel what's going on on the ride, and you can see what's there. And, man, do I have no interest in that. But there's a lot of people that do. 12 yeah, lines um, get really well, long. So I don't know if it's a generational thing? thing. Yeah. Yeah, it might be. So, and it might just be also the novelty factor of it that, Hey, you know what? This is, this is really novel. That type of stuff is really novel. And
1: well, how many years is novelty
0: and it wears off, then it's yeah. going to be dead in five years again. And if it's not, I mean, you never know. It's, it's like it's 3d movies, right? Thing.
1: 3d movies right now. I thought they'd be gone by now, but they're still oh. going. All right, I'll tell you well, what's going on.
2: I'll tell you what's going on, though. All right, because it's millennials have nothing of their own. Our generation had personal computers. Our generation had arcades. Our generation had all of these really cool achievements, and these millennials don't have crap, and they're trying to, you know, find something to cling on to.
0: That's yeah. my Well, opinion. in some ways, um, I will say that in uh, I I don't know because like the 3D movie thing, the they stopped production of all 3D TVs this year. Did they really? Finally. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a thing on that. And what's fascinating about that to me is that like I bought a 3d TV a few years ago. There's a longer story here. It kind of happened randomly, which is a weird way to buy a TV, but it did. And, uh, I was super impressed by how the 3d worked on the actual TV. It's so much better for me than movie theater. Mm -hmm. And, it just never caught on. And it's, it's interesting to me that I think that a big part of it is that it's hard to sell experiences like that, that you need to sit and like wear glasses for. And so yeah. I think that VR has that same thing going forward. Well, and you mentioned the nineties, right? Be hard.
1: You mentioned the '90s when you were working in theme parks, and we talked about this on another episode. I'm pretty sure, but did you, did you have those big, huge uh, VR systems with the ring that kept you inside it? You put the helmet on, and it kind of you could like do a mech and whatever else.
0: Yeah, I wasn't there in the '90s, but the uh, park that I worked at had an actual facility there that they you would connect like 20 people together at the same time. And those would work. They also... Oh, um, the
1: pods. Those were pods. The, those were really cool.
0: The pods that you're thinking of are from Virtuality. Okay. And uh, they were made in the 90s. What's fascinating about that is that there's a weird link here between this and the show, too. Um, at the first show that we did, we were actually an Atari Jaguar show, and Virtuality made a headset for the Atari Jaguar that I got to use the prototype at the first show, and it was mind-blowingly good. But huh. that prototype was made in the 90s, yeah. in 95. Like And I mean, here we are 22 years later and this is the first time basically in 20 years that people have actually cared to try it again. So it's going to be interesting. Um, I think that that I could be completely wrong and that my, or that my opinion on it could be completely wrong and that people just end up loving it. But I also always think that for gaming and stuff like that, it's, it's not a social experience if you've strapped something to your head and you're not (laughs) really able to see your friends. Yeah. maybe that's the old school arcade gamer in me because there's a lot of people that strap something into their heads and play their Xbox or PlayStation 4 and talk with people online and you can still talk with people online obviously with a headset on and VR on but it just seems to be less of an experience that's like that so I don't know I I hope it does cool stuff but I'm not, I haven't yet bought in myself we'll see. A little skeptical Yep.
1: Well that brings us to our next segment
0: (laughs) Back in '82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin a quarter mile. Back, back to the, to the cave. cave with, with. Time.
2: Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull?
3: Okay. We're going to set our time circuits to March 2nd, 1982. Perfect year, actually, for throwing footballs.
1: Huh. (laughs) I get Um, it. I get it.
3: You get it. Yeah. (laughs) So let's first talk about technology. Back in uh, in, uh, 1982, (laughs) Atari released the Atari 2600. That's when it finally came out. Pac-Man. Oh, dude. That's a sore spot for me. Let's
2: not talk about this.
3: Why not? do you remember the disappointment of bringing that home yes. and going,
2: "What in the heck is this"? Crap? I actually the think Batman Dan that never I changed think... direction and the blinking and
3: I'm like, come on, at least simulate something from the game. It's like,
0: oh, all <laughs> right, I got, I, I've got a confession. Let's hear oh, it. no. You loved it. I, I did. I had never played Pac-Man at that point.
3: Ah.
0: I played this before I played the real thing. Yeah. And I like 2,600 Pac-Man more than arcade Pac-Man. <laughs> nice. Still to this day. Where's the hang-up button? I, yeah, <laughs> I was about to say, I probably need to go uh, resign from the show right now. But uh, um, it's true. I... I've always liked that. Now that d- does not hold true for like Miss man and stuff like that, but Weird. the original because Miss Pacman is actually Pac-Man, better. No, <laughs> well, Miss, yeah, well, yes,
1: <laughs> in in some ways, I think
0: it's crazy. No, I think that Miss <laughs> Pacman is way better. Um, Honestly, just the the changing of the mazes, the. The lack of change of mazes to me with the original Pac Man bothered me, and I actually liked the smaller grid that it was in. Having said that, I also completely understand historically why people absolutely hated the 2600 game. <laughs> oh, man. Had to do it. They made
3: 12 million cartridges, and 7 million were sold, which is a lot of not sold cartridges. Yep. Believed to be one of the causes of the North American video game crash of '83.
1: Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I believe that. I think they were already on the way. And I I really, we can't blame the crash on a a single game.
3: No. I mean, it was a number of failures. Yes. Yeah. Although ET probably helped.
1: Whoops. Sorry about that.
3: (laughs) Oh, I I, I talked right over that, didn't I?
1: I sat right on the board. It was my problem. (laughs) It was my problem. I see. Yeah,
3: Um, One other technology piece of news, Infocom released their first non-Zork title deadline. Did anybody like Infocom games? I loved them. I have a full uh, collection. Another
2: funny side note, they're bringing back text adventure games. I just read something on Engadget the other day about how this is making a resurgence. (laughs) So it's kind of coming full circle back to text adventure games.
1: I have a bunch for the VIC-20 as well. But I I, I have MGC Story uh, brought Christine to MGC a few years back. And I got separated from her. I couldn't find her. I was hanging out with the dudes and we were having beers or whatever and walking around. And she was in the computer museum at Midwest Gaming Classic, which is full of classic computers and um, like Odyssey from everything from like an Apple II to an Odyssey II uh, to actually to the actual Odyssey to, um, you know, Commodore 64. And here she is. She's over on some Apple playing Zork, you know. And she she had been there for like two hours playing Zork. (laughs) Go north.
0: Open door. (laughs) I remember the frustration of some of those games. You know what's what's fascinating? I played uh, King's Quest, the new one. There's a new one out for PS4 with my son, Ben. He basically watched and I played it, and he loved it. So much so that for bedtime, we have been watching videos of the original games with me like reading them as people play through them and he's been just enthralled by them he wants to be king graham for <laughs> halloween that's coming in they released king's
1: quest uh probably five six seven years ago i don't know time goes by so fast but they re-released one of the games uh um, with new graphics it was an open source release um, crazy yeah it- i
2: can i can remember the
1: exact place
2: and time that i saw king's quest for the first time i
1: I was was never a king's quest fan i was a space quest fan oh i love space quest too yeah with roger wilco um just hilarious like callbacks to all kinds of pop culture i remember thinking was hilarious seeing zz top in one of the games and all the you know in jokes with star wars and star trek and all that stuff and and he's a janitor which is even better so but i love that game and then there was um those 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 games were sort of a sequel to the text adventure games, right? They the point and click adventures
0: cause they had Yeah, well, the the earlier King's Quest games were you would walk your character around but you would still type in stuff. Uh, I I played King's Quest 4 at my grandpa's house and I was probably 6 or 7 when I got into that and I got into it big time and I remember like you'd walk and you would be like look and then it would tell you stuff and then you'd say like look ground and it would say like I don't know what ground is <laughs> look down. And then I would say like, there you go. There, you see nothing of interest And yeah. <laughs> Okay. Look, look door. See so like there's a door here. And so like it was, it was very much a hybrid between the two of them. And eventually they became pointing clicks, which it actually lost a little bit of the magic for me when they became point and clicks and you didn't have to type in stuff. A friend of mine, I'm sure
2: Robin, Rob, I'm sure somebody on here is going to actually remember this. Uh, the graphics were so bad on, those games there would be an object on the ground and like dan said you'd type look and it would say you see something on the ground you're like well no You'd say, look acorn well it's not an acorn yeah look yep. uh what is it look anchor no nope, not an anchor
0: <laughs> turns out you know after three hours it's a <laughs> squirrel or something <laughs> yep yep and it would be like you can't pick up the squirrel yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just there doing nothing
1: if you guys yeah. want to see something really funny um do a google search for pick up the phone booth and die. It's a, a friend of mine uh got a hold of the the text engine and started experimenting with it and he wrote a game uh a text adventure about um you start out in a, a near a near a phone booth and the whole the, the, the name of the game is pick up a phone booth and die and there's a whole thing you have you can actually win the game but everything you try to do inevitably ends up with you picking up the phone booth and dying. And, and <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pretty funny, actually, and creative. So what else you got for us in 1982?
3: Well, on March 2nd, the top five songs were Centerfold by the J. Giles Band. <laughs> centerfold. <laughs> is a centerfold. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, open Arms by Journey. Crime. That is crime. Let's, let's talk about this for a second.
1: <laughs> well, it peaked at this number two, right? It peaked at number two, and that is Never their before. number. that is their top charting hit on Billboard. It's, that's, they, that's crazy. They never had a
0: number one hit. Yeah, it charted way too high.
1: <laughs> well, there's an interesting bit about that. So uh, Journey recorded Open Arms for their seventh studio album, Escape, which was produced by Kevin Elson and Mike Stone. Jonathan Cain had begun writing the song while he was still a member of the Babies, but the Babies vocalist John Waite, who did 1984's Missing You, um, which charted at number one, by the way, turned down the melody as sentimental rubbish. And then Kane eventually finished the song with Steve Perry. Um, And none of the other band members in Journey wanted to do. Neil Sean reportedly disliked the song because it was so far removed from anything Journey had ever attempted to record before, and they were kind of afraid of it. But it actually, you know, I think it's partially responsible for getting a lot of people interested in in Journey and maybe more women than men. But I DJed in the 90s, and this song was played endlessly. It was just... Mm. it was. I played it at my brother's wedding for when I DJ'd their wedding. So, but no number ones for Journey. Dan Reed. I'm really upset. This you, don't you don't sound as upset as you did earlier. <laughs> I mean, there's been so much disappointment tonight already.
0: You are starting to annoy me, creature.
1: <laughs> we need to. I'll just a, finish this top. We need five. to get him on I, I love- or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right before he does his segment. <laughs> <laughs> i love
3: rock and roll was number three joan jett yeah she was fine she was fine uh shake it up by the cars wait joan
1: jett wasn't she on an episode of highlander back in the 90s uh, i never watched one wait. episode of the highlander oh.
0: i, mean, if I played me. highlander for the atari jaguar cd
1: oh yeah mm, is that good do you cut off people's heads or
0: mm, it's terrible oh it's hard to say what you're doing the whole time because <laughs> it's really that bad <laughs> Like, Uh it's so blocky, you can't really tell anything that's going on. It's supposed to be an adventure game, though. It's like, it's so close to being good, and you can tell, and it's like, man, they should have spent another month on this. But if they had, they would have just given up and not released it anyway. So, (laughs) oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
3: Okay, number five was that girl. Wait a minute, what was number four? Number four was shaken up by the cars. Shaken up by the cars. The cars rule. Are you paying attention?
1: I am now. I, I feel like I already said that. You said it again. I, I heard it. Yeah, it exactly. happened. But we went back to okay. Go ahead. What's we number did. five? That girl
3: by Steve Wonder. Here, let me sing a little bit of it. That girl, that girl. No, I don't know that song. I don't know that one either. <laughs> Never heard of
1: it. So number so one was Centerfold. At the Centerfold.
2: Okay.
3: Which I I really like the video for that. I think it's set in a circus. Something <laughs> which makes I don't no know. What, sense.
2: Centerfold. Isn't it? No, it's in a high school.
3: Oh, is the, oh. That's oh, I'm thinking of a different one. Jay Giles Band. I mean, so
2: many Jesus good songs. You think yes, that's exactly it. You're right. Mm-hmm. I know my much.
1: Wasn't shelf Peter Wolfe uh, lead singer of J. Giles for a while? Or yeah. one, of the, one of the lead singers? <laughs> Ended up breaking off and doing his own thing. Lights Out. Uh-huh. Uh uh-huh. mm. Dance, dance, dance.
3: All right, so let's talk about hey, the uh, box Mark, office. Well, oh, sure. Go, go ahead. The box office. Yeah, well, I'll tell you. Uh, on Golden Pond was number one for the sixth week in a row. Dang. Can you believe it? The only thing I got out of that movie was the suck face. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, obsessed. That, like, oh my God, I got to get a girl and we have to suck face. Do you, did you see that in the film? When the kid says that, that? That movie has like 12 Fondas in it or something, doesn't it? Jane Fonda and her dad. Last film that he made, he won a posthumous Academy Award for it. No, if you,
0: you had made it. up that name as a film, I would have believed you. Yeah. I've never even heard of it. Is it, it Golden hazard. Hazard.
3: On Golden yeah. Ka- sorry. Catherine Hepburn's in it. She talks about uh, uh, the loons. <laughs> I'm
1: I'm Thank
3: actually you. a That's little disturbed. You
1: know impression. so much about this movie. <laughs> I was watching uh, that Rider. is isn't Peter Fonda in it too? Though I thought all three of the Fonda's were. in No, it. no I don't Your think Peter Wolf was, was on that one. Oh. He was in um, Easy Rider. I'm I'm not per- I'm not
3: positive. I don't think the Peter was in there. Okay. So if you weren't going to the movie theater to watch that for the six week in a row, um, this happened to be happy days night, by the way, mm. happy days, Laverne and Shirley three's company, too close for comfort. Then heart to heart.
2: You nice. guys remember the two greaser guys names in Laverne and Shirley trivia time. Go squiggy and Lenny. Yep.
3: yep. Oh, hello. Open the door.
2: Hello. Good one. <laughs> yeah.
3: Um, on CBS, Simon and Simon was on anybody like that. Anybody ever play
1: Simon and Simon on your bikes? Uh, no, but I, I own all the seasons on DVD. I was too hmm. busy watching that Rider. I love Sarah. Air, was on too. Mm-hmm. Was it? Yeah. The well, same night. May, maybe it's not a the same thing. night. Dude's mm-hmm. hazard. It was Thursday well,
3: nights. It, it, let me, let me, let me get to NBC. It was rather dismal over there. Father Murphy, <laughs> with Tom Bosley, I believe Brett, Brett Maverick, which I think is a, a, like another guy named Maverick or something. And Flamingo road, but a drama, Snorer Day. I, that was definitely not must-see TV. But of course, if you were on PBS, American Playhouse could have put you to sleep. Oh, I don't know if that was that bad. <laughs> <laughs> damn hey, you play. guys I loved American Playhouse it was the best. Did you I,
1: know, honestly, like oh, on, I said probably yeah, I meant, damn, shows. <laughs> on Sunday, Judge Wapner died. Oh yeah, but he was in his 90s, so yeah, he was good like, run, good run. Yeah. Good run. He was born in 1919. Dun dun. Good run. dun. Dun, 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 dun. I liked it when he got mad. (laughs) What? He got mad? Oh, he did get mad. He would have a a really frowny face.
3: Yeah, not. he probably set the tone for Judge Judy as far as telling off somebody for interrupting him or... Interrupting Kyle. Yeah, not following his direction. So I'm going to wind up my little section of what happened on March 2nd, 1982. Howard Stern actually began broadcasting... In WW, On WWDC in Washington, D.C. And that's when he first met Robin Quivers, who he's still working with today. In 82. 82. And Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, daughter of uh, Ron Howard from Happy Days, she was born. Uh, she was in Jurassic World. And she is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mean she's fine like she's just fine? Or? She's fine. Like, she, hey, have, did you she's... ever see a movie called So Fine? I don't know what year it came <laughs> out with. I think it had Scott Baio in it. <laughs> No. Was
2: that the one with the monkey? I don't think so. What, All what I remember is that? a bunch of people yeah, walking in I'm a parking lot. Who was it? No, it wasn't Scott Baio. Was it? Oh, it was you know Chachi. what? I mean, Chachi and the monkey. were. <laughs> you
3: know what? I'm thinking of I'm thinking of a movie called Foxes. Not so fine. <laughs> so fine's the one where the guy has like a transparent butt.
2: Oh, I got to find this movie with Scott, whatever his name is, and the monkey. <laughs> what the hell was it?
3: Now I got to go on iTunes and find Foxes. Hey, guess
1: what guys? Oh, no. we're, over, we're we're we got to talk to our guest. Not yet. We have no, Not not no. We have a, a voicemail. What? Yeah. No. Nobody listens we, to this actually, show. Actually, we have two voicemails. Believe it or not. Don't play them. That'll encourage them to call again. What <laughs> 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 What the heck is the, uh, Yeah, you you sure you don't want to hear them? This is like the rare we have voicemails. All right, play them. Whatever. Yeah. All right. Well, we don't um, have to respond. What now? We'll pretend like we didn't hear them.
2: Right. Unless they
1: ask somebody to say something. You know, okay. So this, this one was somebody listened to the show while it was um, in syndication. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they must have been listening on iTunes or something. I'm sorry to the guy who asked this question because uh, I don't have your name on here. But, um, you know, we're going to play your voicemail anyway it's for Mark.
0: So. I love the terms guys. That was really funny. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to see if you guys will talk tonight about, uh, Mark's Tron pickup in detail. See what he can, uh, disclose what, what needs to be done to it.
1: So apparently we were talking about your Tron that you picked up. Mm-hmm. He'd like to know what needs to be done to it. Oh,
3: well, let's see. Um, Needs to be cleaned very well. The bottom is very sort of moldy. Uh, The inside's okay. Uh, I took the control panel off and brought it home. I have the PCB. PCB is not working. I'm going to plug it into Mytron after I give it the once over. I'm pretty sure those ribbon cables are bad. Uh, That seems to be popular as far as a failure point. Uh, The control panel needs a new overlay, Mm, some cleaning. I think I'm going to keep... I'm going to keep most of the side art. It's, it's complete. I mean, it has a little bit of patina, but, you know, otherwise, uh, you know, it's a, it's a pretty nice drawing. I do need to get the joystick. I'm probably going to get a repro. Uh, what's in there is pretty faded out. And Adam has been nice enough to give me a spare uh, bezel. Is that yeah, what that giant part is? It's called a shroud or a bezel. A
1: shroud. Yeah. A shroud. A shroud. The, the thing turret. about the one I gave you, so the one the machine you bought for me had that tiny little crack in it from the guy that was doing the work in North Dakota or whatever. Anyway, right. um, I, always, I always felt kind of bad about that, and I came across uh, a shroud, at, um, Billy Seven, actually, uh, if you guys know who that is locally. I do. Um, he, uh, he had one, and he sold it to me, so I, I said, I got to give this to Mark. So Awesome. It's in much better shape, and actually, the original art that's in it is... Is perfect. You just, In fact, it's peeling up a little bit on the edges where it, it used to get tucked behind the, the wall of the machine. But when you put it in, I think you can just drop it in. It's a drop-in replacement. I might do a little uh, touch-up on the on the Plexi with some Novus on that one, but otherwise it's really minty. Mm, so, nice. So that's where I am with my Tron. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Thanks for calling in. We have one other, one other caller. Uh, I think this one's for, I don't know, who, this one looks like it may be for all of us. Okay, here we go.
3: Hey, uh, what's going on? Uh, I hear this is the line for the arcade ratio. Uh, my name is uh, Bob Zardzadek. I'm here from the YouTube. Uh, usually I usually have about 30 subscribers most of the time. Sometimes it's 29, but mostly it's 30. And anyway, I'm a professional control panel technician. Uh, my question today <laughs> is uh, I live in 10 shipping containers, and they're all lined up behind a Walmart. Uh, uh well forget forget that they're behind a Walmart, especially if you work for Walmart. Don't don't even remember that I said that. But the real question <laughs> I have here today is uh what's the ratio of arcade games that I can have per shipping container? Okay, so feel free to talk amongst yourselves. Uh thank you for this uh arcade ratio service. It's super convenient for me. It really helps <laughs> a
1: lot. What a punk. Wow. Do you think he really thought we were a ratio service?
3: <laughs> Maybe he just doesn't like math or something? Or <laughs> addicted doesn't seem too bright to me. Do you know him personally, Mark? I've never <laughs> heard of the gentleman. <laughs>
1: well, let's move on.
0: Oh, man. And I was ready with stats to answer that one, too. Oh, my God. B.
1: Our guest, be our guest. Put our service to the test. That's you, Dan lucen Welcome to the show.
0: awesome, and I'd even talked over my own intro, so that's perfect. <laughs> well, that's, that's the timing how, was perfect.
1: That's how we work. Yeah,
0: it was. <laughs> I, I actually was trying to stop myself from giggling on air because I didn't realize that that was how it worked, and I was like, man, I like did my own lead in for that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's perfect. That's how we roll. So, um, welcome to the show. Give Thanks. us a, give us a little bit of background on your um, on on how you. Uh, Got from just Dan Lucen, you know uh daytime reporter to <laughs> goat l l c and uh, m g c give us a little of your background
0: all right I'll do the short version of it um <laughs> in okay the short version of it starts in grade school um but <laughs> I'll do it as short as possible. The the, the quicker version. God, I've said that four times. Gary and I met. Gary Heil is the other proprietor, or owner, or whatever of goat store with me, and we met way back in grade school. I think that we've known each other since probably kindergarten or first grade. And in upper grade school, fifth grade, sixth grade, we. I had learned how to program from my uncle. And so I would stay after school programming the Apple IIgs that we had at my school. And Gary was like, what are you doing? And I was like, basically I'm being a nerd. And so he joined me being a nerd and we enjoyed doing that for a while. Um, In middle school, we had still been kind of dabbling with programming and we had both been collecting for the system, the Atari Jaguar, which I've managed to somehow work in twice already so far tonight. Um, And, when we were doing that, there was a guy who was trying to create basically fan games for the Jaguar and he came out and was just not smart about some of the stuff that he was saying. And so me and him got into a respectful debate through email and it resulted in him saying to me like, well, you should just stop talking because it's not like you could do any better. And I said, yes, I could. And he said, prove it. And I sent him a demo of something that Gary and I had done like three or four years earlier. And he said, you want to make games for us? And I was like, what are you gonna do? And so we came up with a deal and long story short, he we realized that it was gonna take us a while to get the game that we were trying to make out. So we said, well we'll 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 purchase and sell some stuff for the Atari Lynx, which was a game system we were developing for at the time just to keep people stopping back. And that way they'll buy, you know, a game here, a game there, and then eventually they'll buy our game. And so we got that stuff. And then the developer or the publisher, right after we did that was like, no, you need to redo your website again. And we were like, we have to program this game. And basically it came down to, he had investors looking for him to, it was during the internet bubble when everybody was investing in people just because they could make a website. And he wanted us to do that and basically booted us off because we weren't willing. We were like, we need a product to sell. We don't need a website. And he was like, no, we need a website. He booted us off because he wanted to do that. We started our own website. He managed to get millions of dollars in seed funding. So that's all good. Um, never had a product to show for it, but that's fine. We, uh, started the goat store. And then along with that, because we were doing this Atari Jaguar stuff, we had found this show called Atari Jaguar Festival or Jag Fest that had rotated around the country before um, in different places to celebrate this console that basically 100-ish people were really into at the time. And so one of them was in Rochester, Minnesota in 1999. And so we piled into a car. It was my first road trip, and we drove out there for Jagfest, and it was awesome. awesome. And we said, "This was great." It rotates from the country. Let's offer to host it. And so, in 2001, we offered to host it in Milwaukee. And was that in Brookfield? It was getting classic. It was uh, in the basement of the service center uh, of a nonprofit organization that my dad worked for at the time, right. and um, it was. It's basically. Let's me think, two freeway exits from where we are right now. Um, literally just off the freeway there, right oh, by Aurora cool. State Paris. And um, w- it was a lot of fun, and we, we had about 100 people show up, which was actually the most successful Jagfest at that time ever. We even had people flying from Japan and stuff like that for it. Most of the people that came in were from further away, and we said, this was fun, let's do this again. And so the next year, we decided that we wanted to expand it, and uh, a guy who at the time was not well-known named Ben Heck <laughs> um, or, ben suggested the name of Midwest Classic for it, and we said sure. And so, in 2002, we returned as Midwest Classic, and uh, we gathered about 100 people up that time, but it was more local folk. In 2003, we moved the show to um a different location on the east side of the city. I can't remember exactly where. And we were expecting to have lots of people that year we took out all this classified ads and we're like oh this is gonna be genius we had uh, 200 people show up we lost our asses on the show oh no to put it nicely yeah we we had told our vendors that we would be getting at least a thousand people oh and, so, and we were we were break even at a thousand people wow and so pulling 200 people was to put it nicely no one was happy um we actually went and we, because we we told everybody that we were doing this. We went to all of our vendors. We gave them their money back for their tables that they had gotten, and so we lost even more money from that. Yeah. Um, but we said like we we promised something that we'd deliver. We can't we can't in good conscience say like okay this is fine. So that year, Gary and I had a, a sit down meeting afterwards where we said, all right, what should we do? We said, well, we either need to go big or go home because we we obviously. At a hundred people, we can't break even. And at um, and so the next step is to try to go big. So we took out a bunch of radio advertising. We actually had it at the Sheraton. When we had the event at the Sheraton that year, uh, the Sheraton actually absolutely screwed us. It's the same location that we're at now, different management though. And we again lost tons of money on the show. Um,
1: was that 2004 they, then or we're talking...
0: That's 2004. All right. And so... We also, that year, that year, though, we, we way raised how many people we had at the show. We had about 1,500 people at the show that year. Well, that's so impressive.
1: We, that's a big leap. That's yeah,
0: yeah. That was a big leap. But when the Sheraton basically came to us and charged us an extra $5,000 right before the show again, uh-huh. and then also, they didn't let us put up signage in the hotel. And so the show that year was only in the basement rooms, and the back rooms were like our food and some extra vendors are now. Yeah. And so they were so far apart that no one could find them. And on top of that, we, that year, I I was like, well, you know what, at least, you know, people are going to go and talk about what a great time they had this year. And I went and I pulled up some websites online afterwards thinking like, this is going to be great. And everybody was like, well, I went, and I own every Nintendo game for, made for the Nintendo Entertainment System except for two, and neither of those games were there since so a failure. No one should ever go to this <laughs> piece of crap show, and we hated it. And Gary and I were like, all right, in the last two years, we've lost about $10,000 on this stupid thing we're done, and we walked away. So that was um, 2005, and decided two, to take a year yep, off? Yep, in 2005, that's the show that did not exist, but what happened is right about the time that we were supposed to be having that show in 2005. We started to get phone calls from people, and they said, "What can we do to bring this back?" We loved this." Awesome. And, Gary and I were like Gary and I were like, "Yeah, right." It was like, <laughs> no." this is dumb. We're not going to lose a ton of money again. And they were like, no, like we, we will do anything. What can we do? And so Gary and I sat down together and we said, let's We, we because we also run this goat store thing where people buy retro video games from us. We were like, we don't want to shut them down and say that they're crazy because we would like them still to appreciate what we do for retro gaming and buy some stuff from us maybe once in a while. Um, but we can't keep doing this unless if something changes. So we sat down and we said, let's come up with a crazy, like list of things. And if they actually pull it off, we'll do it, but there's no way they'll pull it off. And so we said stuff like, all right, we want someone who's willing to take tickets all day for the entire show. And we we're like, no one who wants to go to the show is going to do that. That's perfect. And then we said, all right, we and it was also stuff that literally Gary and I could not do. Like, we were trying to do that in the past and was part of what was screwing us up. And um, we said we want a location that's more than twice as big as what we had at the Sheraton for less than half the cost. And we're like, yeah, right, no one's going to find that. And we, we did a bunch of those things, and we then pushed it to the about 20 people that we had who had contacted us and said, hey, we want to bring the show back and within a couple of weeks we started getting phone calls back hey i found a location it's a quarter of the price twice as big it's like what hey i know what you're saying about uh tickets so i've got three people we'll handle all ticketing so that you don't have to do that
1: nice it's what? better to get in volunteers basically um,
0: yeah and like it was amazing and what happened is that it changed the focus of the show we the problem that the show had before 2006 was that we tried to be everything for everybody we tried to be the perfect nintendo show for the nintendo collector and the perfect pinball show for the pinball collector and the perfect arcade show for the arcade collector and by trying to serve everybody perfectly we served no one yeah. we we didn't have enough content to we, we got the nintendo collector there and yeah you know what we didn't have anything really special for the nes we got the pinball collector there and you know what we didn't have anything really special for pinball we had stuff it just wasn't enough in 2006 we changed and we said look we're going to celebrate all gaming and the goal is that the people that come here are going to enjoy the different aspects of gaming and if they then, show up and they yeah. want every Nintendo game, I'm going to tell them flat out, there's better shows for you to go to <laughs> where you'll see every Nintendo game. But we are going to provide something fun for everybody to do. And it changed the focus of the show. The people that come to the show now are just like, they're cool to see everything. And what's crazy is that now, 10 years after 2006, not just is literally every single person that brought the show back in 2006 still working with the show, still making it better. Wow! But we we are now... I show that if you're a pinball collector, we have, we last year had about 250 pinball machines at the show. Yeah. If you're an arcade collector, we had about 200 different arcade games at the show. We have tons of alumni for those that come up. We, um we, if you're a console collector, we have one of everything at the show. We were the first U S show to have the PlayStation Nintendo prototype shown at it. Um, like, yeah, that was cool. We have those things, but the focus of the show still does not remain on the like, I'm the, the guy who owns 100 arcade machines and is coming to see his, like this because you know what? I can't really put together something that's going to be better of an experience for strictly arcade games than that dude's arcade where there's one dude in it if he wants to be there.
1: So was but, it always called the Midwest Gaming Classic or you said Midwest yeah. Classic? Did it change yes. at some point?
0: Yes, it actually changed in 2004. Okay. So it changed that last year before the disaster. And yeah, and so, so yeah, we just try to, put together stuff where basically now it's just whoever wants to get together and tell me what they want to do. I'm like, cool. What do you want to do? Let's let's figure it out. And I try to say no to nobody and we try to <laughs> bolt in everything that we can and it's created a monster of amazing stuff that yeah. people are willing to do.
1: <clears throat> well, in addition to like the computer museum and the big vendor tent with all the stuff you can buy, I think Pinball Life's been there a couple times vending. Yeah. And you've had a couple other pinball vendors and then a, a, a huge tent full of nintendo games and i don't care uh the the variety is you know it's there's it's very console centric in that tent but what some of the cool things is there's other smaller vendors that are doing like artwork and then you got like one guy that's got stuff from his basement and like you know old migo toys and you know electronic games and stuff that you you know we had when we were and i have bought a bunch of stuff out of there and and um and i and you have bands come in too you uh the what's the band is it beaker uh yep
0: Yeah. Well, there's many different bands, but that's one of them. And yeah, I mean, and like, literally, I'll tell you a story about that, that part of the stage. So a few years ago, we had some of the vendors that were like, no one comes up here later in the day. We should fix that somehow. And I was like, all right, we need to think about that. And so at the same time, one of my friends who I met because of the show said, I want to step up my game for the show. And I was like, cool, what do you want to do? And he was like, well, I host a gaming podcast that also talks about music. Would you like me to see if I can set up some bands to come in? And I was like, hey, you know what? This would be something that we can do out in the tent. We can put it down at the end of the tent so that people you know, later on in the day will come back And it gives the tent like some excitement to it. So it's not just like, Oh, you're in a giant tent. It's like, we're in a party. And so I said, sure. And he started putting that together. And like this year, we had so many different bands from all over the country contacting us. And like Wisconsin has a lot of really weird laws. And one of them is that we can't really offer anybody that comes to play much of anything. And everybody's just like, no, I want to be part of this. Like it's, it's really a community thing. And the whole show works that way where, it's basically people that have come up to me at some point and said, I want to do whatever it is. And I go, okay, cool. Let's figure out how to do that.
1: That's awesome. So you you mentioned, uh, you know, you still have a bunch of people working on the show that, that, uh, kind of helped you out when you're, when MGC was struggling, how big is your volunteer staff now for the show?
0: Um, I can honestly tell you that I have no idea. Um, (laughs) minimally, minimally, the people that I would say are critical to the show coming together is at least a thousand people. Wow. That's... And like, like that sounds insane because like, how do you do that? But for me, it's, it's, there's me and there's Gary who are like the idiots that put up the money. And then uh, Gary is the one that deals with all the vendors and I'm the one that deals with fitting all the show content together. But the show content Everybody that brings something, whether it's you're bringing a pinball machine, well then you're a show contributor. If you are bringing an arcade machine, you are a show contributor. If you are setting up a table to do something at the show, you are a show contributor. Awesome. We could not do the show without people like you guys helping to spread the word to other people. Speaking of which, we want to spread the
1: word of arcade radio at your show. Can uh, Can we just set up a table somewhere?
0: Um, we can talk more about that, but basically I'm very bad at saying no to anybody as long <laughs> as you're cool with me figuring out ways that we can do it so that it's mutually beneficial and that you get stuck in some weird corner for now and are just cool with that. <laughs> and I like, think that's we're... true of basically anybody that contacts me. Um, we a couple of years ago, and some people know that this is true, um, because there's well, there's photographic proof of this, but there was talk where we had games showing up um, for the arcade hall before we moved the arcade hall to the beer hall before the tent was bolted onto the hotel and we were like, Oh my God, they keep coming. We don't know where to put all these. And so we were literally like going to the hotel and going like we're putting five games in the lobby and they were like, okay, and we were like, all right, cool. Uh, we are putting five games in this hallway over here by this elevator. And they were like, okay. And we were like, cool. And we actually stopped asking permission at one point. And later on the hotel came back to us and was like, okay, next year you can't put games in this particular location. Like, all right. But like Fire people code. were literally like, we, we were debating whether we should actually put a game in the bathroom. It was like that much, <laughs> but we were like, we were like, awesome. we will find a spot for everything that shows up somehow one way or another. And that's kind of always the goal. And as long as people are willing to work with us, um, we'll, we'll do it. And there is a picture of a game in a bathroom the following year that was half <laughs> a joke, and it, it stayed there for the whole game, though, because for the whole show. Because people people who really get involved with the show love the spirit of like we're, we're just going to come together and figure it out. Yeah. And as long as people are cool with that, I mean, we we're willing to work with however it is because it, it, the show is really not it. it the joke is that it's it's what Dan and Gary love because we love all this stuff. But the show is really what everybody else loves and is willing to do because at this point, if you come to the show and if it was just me bringing stuff, there'd be like a couple of video game systems set up, a few arcade and pinball machines, and knowing my luck, they'd all be broken because every time that I bring a pinball machine to the show, it breaks. Um, and that would be it. But the show is really everybody else coming together to create something magical for everybody.
1: Let's talk about that for a second. Cause, uh, twice now I've brought games, um, to the
0: show. Um, yeah first year I brought which means, that, which means that honestly, without you, the show wouldn't be a success so yeah
1: and it's everybody though right you, you mentioned it's total contribution I and mean, you can't get two hundred games in there with one or two guys and it, it's no you know so i brought a couple of games last year, sold both of them uh, actually the first time I, I did not bring a game, I bought a game from um from sean williams uh, fetish boy uh he had a 280 zap black and white game and I, that's actually the first time i met you dan uh you probably you may or may not remember this but i was walking around in the in the uh after party uh hallway um and you happened to be in the hallway at the same time and i didn't have a ticket i didn't have a a, a wristband and you're like oh. yeah and you're like where are you going? <laughs> I'm like, I was gonna go to the after party, <laughs> and he's and then it was explained to me that you know, yeah, you can go to the after party if you you know if you get the wristband from the guy that sold you the game, or or however that worked at the time. I don't remember quite quite, but uh, we interacted in the hallway and you were really cool about it. You're like, okay, go in, but you know, next time get the thing from from sean
0: or whatever. yeah well <laughs> you know? and that after party has taken on the life of its own i mean like we so the reason that that got started was in 2006 when we were first at the old location that we were at it was the olympia resort out in cotton we had an arcade hall and there was probably about 40 games at the time and one of the things that i was told from a couple of my friends who were in arcade games i mean i'm very into arcade games um too much so i I'm one of those people that if you ask me how many games I have, the answer is I don't know, Um, (laughs) which I wish was not the truth, but it is. Like, I literally, the other day I was writing down games to try to figure out how many I can fit in my basement, and I'm pretty sure I can fit between 32 and 40 down here. Wow. Which means that I have about probably 20 to 30 to sell at some point, Um, which I still don't know exactly how many I actually have to sell, but (laughs) I'll figure them out eventually. (laughs) But anyway, um, I was... uh, I was talking with them and they were like, yeah, you know, I love the show. I love supporting the show. But the one thing that I really wish is that I don't get to meet new collectors. And we were like, all right, we should solve this. What can we do? And we said, let's do an after party where just the people that brought the machines then get to interact with the people that brought the machines. And so that's how it started. And the uh, it's crazy because I will be offered. And we, we are very hardcore. on It's one game, one ticket. And that's how it works. And I've been offered. I've been offered someone offered me last year, 200 bucks for a ticket. And I said, no, said, like, look, like, this is a reward for these people. If we start saying there's a line to get in and we start having a thousand people there instead of one per one game, yeah, it stops being exclusive. It stops being something special. And it's also interesting because I mean, I, it's true. The show is not this giant moneymaker. I wish it was more of a moneymaker because I would have less nightmares about potentially losing like my house or car or whatever after the show. <laughs> but, we We don't have huge corporate involvement, and because we are paying for the location and like the electrical grid that we paid for um is twenty thousand dollars that we put into that thing, and that's just to run the arcade hall for literally wow. three nights a year and when we do that type of stuff, it's because we love this community coming out and doing this and we we wait, 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 specifically hold. hold the line on Saturday it closes at eight let's talk about to, that for that just a second that did stuff party. um so.
1: First of all, Brian Jones in the chat says, been doing it for six years now never gets easier, that's for sure. Um, Talk a little bit about that grid, because that's a unique thing that you did.
0: (laughs) So we call it Doc Ock. And basically what happened was that in um, 2004, when we were at the show before, or when we were at the Sheraton before, the Sheraton told us, we guarantee you we have so much power in the back section where we had the arcade at the time, you're going to be fine. (laughs) And so we were like, cool. So we set up the games and that year we had about 40 games total again. And, uh, we had paid for a radio station, come out and do a live remote where they are actually talking from the floor of the show. Radio station turns on their live remote. Whole hall goes dark, ran to the front desk, (laughs) said, we need power. And, Again, this was before they switched management because I absolutely adore them now. You guys, since you've been there, know how much they let us get away with, so they're awesome. But uh, I ran up there, and I was told, sir, all of our engineers are in guest rooms right now. I said, you don't understand. The radio is trying to broadcast right now to tell people about our show. We need the power back on. And she said, no, sir, I think you don't understand. All of our engineers are in rooms right now. <laughs> and I was like, I was so angry. And so one of our things, when we came back, they actually cold called me. And it's a funny story. The lady who cold called me, she said, hi, I'm, I forget what her name was. I'm so-and-so with um, Brookfield Sheraton. And we were interested if you still ran the Mirrors Gaming Classic and if you'd like to come back. And I said to her, oh, you must be new there. <laughs> and she said she said yeah why and i said because you guys are so terrible that every time that anybody asks me about a place to stay in town i only tell them not to stay at you guys because you guys are the absolute worst you guys completely screwed us in the past and i have no interest in ever working with you again and i started to hang up the phone and as i started to hang up the phone i hear her say yeah i hear that all the time that's why i'm cold calling people please don't hang up the phone Wow. And I stopped and I held on the phone and I said, all right, you've got me. What? And she said, the previous people that were selling stuff were so terrible that I'm caught cold calling people that are usually swearing at me and hanging up the phone before I get to, oh, say I'd anything. Hate to have that I'm job. Trying. Yeah. And she said, I'm trying to get anybody to talk with wow. me more so that I can prove how different we are as a, as a place. <laughs> and I said to her, yeah, right. Okay. I said, I said, you know, we're pretty happy with where we're at right now, but you know, fine. And she said, I tell you what, she said, I would just like to send you a folder so I can tell the people that I work with that I sent out enough folders this week. She said, as far as I'm concerned, when you get it, you can throw it out. But I'm serious when I tell you, it has completely changed. And if you ever need a different location, I would love to talk to you. I said, so fine. Awesome. Send me the folder. We'll see what happens. She sent me the folder the following year. The Olympia called me up. We had been doing uh, dates that were around the time that we're doing now, I think. And they were like, so we, we made an error. And I was like, okay, what? And they said, well, we accidentally gave away your dates. Oh, okay, you kidding um, me? Can we? Yeah, it was to a dog show. And I said, okay, <laughs> can, we, can we go like a week earlier, a week later? They were like, well, we're pretty booked up. I said, all right, well, what are we looking at? And they're like, well, we can move you back to like the middle of January oh. <laughs> or move you back to like October. And I was like, no, that no, no. And so I said it was like right at the time that we were looking for a new place anyway. I said it's cool. We're gonna see what else is out there. I went to the Sheraton. I met with them, and I was so skeptical of it. And I told them flat out. I said, you know, I, I don't think I'm doing this, but I'm entertaining this. And we sat down, and the things that changed me is that we were sitting there, and the the woman who was our salesperson at the time, I was like, all right, well, you know, your rooms are kind of all over. In the past, you wouldn't let us put up signs even to say where things were. Yeah. How are we going to make sure that people can link between these rooms? She goes, yeah, that's a good question. And then she goes, I got it. You guys should get little dots like stickers, and you can put them on the ground and tell people to walk around like Pac-Man to make sure that they get to each of the rooms. (laughs) And I said, you're going to let me put stickers on the floor? She said, yeah, why not? I said, okay. And we said, well, what about electrical? And she said, we will drill a hole through the wall for you to drop an electrical panel into this room. You'll have to make the panel itself, but we'll put the connection in the room for you. That way, you'll be able to do whatever it is that you want. Wow. And I was like, really? And she was like, yeah. And she said, she said you know, and my father was an electrician, so we went to talk with him. And he was like, yeah, you know, they've got this line that taps directly to the outside. You do that. We can get enough power in there for everything for sure. Wow. And it was like, okay. And so I went back and I was like, yeah, they're not going to do that. And they just kept bending over backwards like that to the point that we finally said yes. Uh, so, I mean, like some other stuff that they did, I was like, all right, we, we need to put our speakers somewhere. Where can we put the speakers. And she literally was like, you're not using the bar for anything, are you? I said, no, it's the bar. We can't close that, can we? She said, oh, yeah, we can. So you'll, you'll do the speakers in there okay. <laughs> so, and like, they, they keep doing stuff like that. A year later, we were looking for a place to start tabletop and they were like, and she literally said, well, why aren't you using our lobby, so the lobby where people walk in? And she said, yeah. And she goes, and I, I said, don't you think that some of the people that walk in, cause at the time we weren't yet selling out the hotel. So don't you think that, that, the, that people that walk in that aren't for the show are going to be a little bit weirded out by people playing games right there. And she said, look, you guys are in every other room of the hotel all weekend long. If they walk in and don't want to be here, we might as well slap them in the face with the fact that you guys are here so they can ask for a refund before they check in because that's way easier than them getting checked in, walking down the hallway, coming back, and asking for a well, refund. For
1: sure. And, you know, with parties right. going on and stuff like that, you know, you get these guests would come in and be inundated by a bunch of yeah. crazy drunks playing games and, you know, and well, just loud people and, you know... There will
0: be someone that checks in because Friday night we always get really close to selling out, but we don't personally sell out the show a hundred percent. So I always get someone that's like an airline pilot or something that had come to the hotel <laughs> and you can watch them walk through the hotel with this look of like, what <laughs> the hell is this <laughs> the whole time? Because it's a bunch of just guys that are, I mean, so friendly. And just yeah. so happy to be there and be together. It's, it's the other unique thing about the show. A couple of years ago, like every year I have something that sticks out in my mind about the show as like a, well, this is the highlight. About probably five years ago, it was the security guard that pulled me aside as I was walking through. He goes, Dan, Dan, come here, come here. I'm like, oh my God, what just happened? And this is the, the and security guard. And I'm, I'm like, all right, what's up? And he's like, what do you do to these people? I'm thinking, oh, my God, what did we just do? Do we have some kick through a wall? What, what just happened? And he goes, they're all so
2: nice. <laughs> I like,
0: okay. And I said, I said, okay. I was really worried. there. And he said, no, I, every time we sell out the hotel, all night I go around yelling at drunks, calling the police to come and pick up people and stuff like that. He said, you guys have drunks. If I'm like, hey, you need to go back to my room. They come up to me, they say, thanks for watching out for me, man. Give me a hug, and I don't see him for the rest of the night. <laughs> said, I get hugs from your group, and they're serious, and they appreciate it. And then they go to their rooms, and I don't hear from them. It's amazing. And he said, like, I don't I don't understand how this works, but I love it. And, like, that's kind of the vibe of it. So I don't know how I got there from Doc Ock. But anyway, Doc what? Ock has just grown from that little panel to bigger panels every year. And it, it flows through 600 amps and can light approximately i think that we're doing about 250 to 300 games off of it now
1: wow so and you brought that panel in. do you bring that panel in every year then
0: yes that panel lives in a storage area um not too far from the show and it is literally just used for the show um we've thought about renting it to other shows but the problem is is that i mean it's it's twenty thousand dollars worth of electrical equipment that and i will tell you my father-in-law is awesome It's $20,000 at cost of electrical equipment um, because he built it for us at cost. Wow. I, I can't imagine how else we were going to do it but it it's awesome and it's an awesome control thing for us too um, the fire department who works with us actually loves it, They think it's genius because a couple of years ago someone pulled a fire alarm in a guest room, it was actually a kid on accident completely during the show it was a silent alarm, the hotel checked it immediately and didn't evacuate anybody or anything the fire department still has to walk out to be like what's going on, yeah. they walked in and they fully knew that we were there we, we had a couple of people at the show that started Poster on Facebook. Oh my God, fire department's here. They're shutting the show down. Whereas the actual story was the fire department was walking around with me going, man, you guys run this so smoothly. This is <laughs> awesome. And um, the, he had a question when we got to the arcade hall. He was like, how is it that like, he was like, if it was a real fire, how'd you make sure that everybody would leave? I was like, well, let me show you our panel. I walked him back to the panel. I said, you know, this is our electrical grid. I can shut off every game in the entire place here in about 15 seconds when i just flip all these switches and the fire guy looks at me and he goes, that's genius. He yeah. Said, that's, that's beyond what most places do. I said, well, it's super important to us to be able to both provide before that year, the last year at the Olympia, we started having some pinball machines and power drops. So they would reset. And we were like, and some people were very concerned that that was damaging their games. Um, I understand the concern as someone who worked in an arcade for many years and owns a bunch of those games. It doesn't actually damage them. It just is bothersome because it shouldn't be resetting. But you take that then and you go back and you say, all right, well, you know, here's the, here's the new power grid and you won't have voltage drops and we don't have voltage drops and everybody's like, holy crap. And I mean, it's a stupid thing to put money into because what else am I going to do with that grid? Absolutely nothing. Um, and like, it's one of those things too, where sometimes people have said to me, oh, well, you know, you make money because you get all this stuff from the show. And I'm like, yeah, I have a $20,000 power grid that when the show's over, what am I going to do with that? Who wants that? Nobody. So it's a fascinating thing, but it's also, it's, it's interesting how all this stuff has been put together to kind of enable people to do really cool stuff for the show that's i sometimes refer to myself as i'm the enabler of the show i'm the guy who says like you want to do this i will figure out a way for you to do that and that's the goal of me basically is to enable cool people to do cool stuff
3: cool awesome
0: hey can you? i give wandered us? all over in that response i'm sorry about that i hope <laughs> that was interesting no
3: i don't remember the original question so that's it that was about, about the power about Doc
0: Doc, Doc, and i told you like yeah. 5,000 different things. And that's okay. I finished with that. It. box. So it's like I did the question, but I don't know what in the hell I threw in sorry. the middle. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, well, my cruisers will destroy you. Hey, cool.
3: <laughs> can you give us like a quick rundown of the guests that are going to be there this year?
0: Um, the announced guests that we have so far, are um, Ed Freeze, who is the guy who created the Microsoft, well, he was the guy who was the head of the Microsoft Xbox division when Xbox was started. He was uh, the vice president in charge of basically gaming there for a long time. Um, so he's going to be there. He also is now a huge arcade collector. And so if you are coming to the show and you haven't bought tickets for Friday night yet, strongly suggest getting them. One of the things that's going to happen is... Near, How many
1: tickets are left?
0: Uh, what was that? How many Friday night tickets are left? Uh last I announced <laughs> I announced yesterday that there was twenty five left. I realized after I announced that it was actually more like thirty five left. But okay. there's about twelve ish Hey Dan Dan,
2: uh that's a good segue here. Can you tell people how to get a hold of
0: those tickets? Yeah, classic dot com. Awesome. There's a big buy tickets button there. You go there. The Friday night tickets are on the Friday events page. Some people get confused because it looks like it's an official thing, but the Friday night thing is like a pre-party that we limit to only 300 people, and we open up a lot of the content for
1: yeah, so, so you get to play the games early and stuff like that that are available.
0: Yeah, we we open up seven different content rooms as well as the museum and the arcade hall, and then we have other things, other activities that we don't usually do. We have a pinball tournament. We actually have a couple of pinball tournaments. We're looking at doing some other things like that. Um, Ed Freeze is going to speak in a you know whoever shows up. It could be with two people. But he. One of the things that he's gotten into is preserving arcade history. And so he's gotten some of the rarest very early games and he's been preserving them. And he's actually going to be doing a like informal chat about one that he has just um just gotten. And he's going to... I kind of know what he's going to be talking about already. I'm trying to dance around it because I'm not supposed to say it. He's (laughs) going to be unveiling stuff that people don't know about this game and our show. So I think that's really cool. He's also going to be talking the next day about stuff. Um, We've got lots of different people that are industry alumni coming. I've announced Brian Collins so far. Did I just say that wrong? I always get names screwed up. Let me double check here. I think it's Collins. Um, He's the guy who did um, Arch Rivals, Rampage. Okay. I'm forgetting the third game. And he's going to be coming back to the show this year to uh, Brian Collin, Nick's the X at the end, um, and Xenophobe. He also did General Chaos for the Psychogenesis, Genesis, and he's been involved in tons of different Bally Midway games. Um, he's going to be coming. We The last that I've checked, we have about at least 10 more arcade alumni names to announce. We have at least probably 20 pinball alumni names to announce. Um, Those kind of all come together in the last couple weeks, but we have a ton of them coming. And this year, one of the things that we've got too is that we're going to have a signing table where those people can actually stop and sit and people who want to get something signed can get something signed or that just want to stop by and say hi to someone can do that. Um,
1: Did you say Eugene Jarvis is going to be there again this year?
0: I haven't said that yet. Oh, okay. I thought I read that in an email or something. um, I hope he will be. Um, Eugene actually, so a couple of years ago, the show was completely overwhelming to me. And Eugene Jarvis, if you haven't met him is just an amazing guy. Yeah. And so, great. and I'm also a really bad liar in real life. And so it was the first year that we did the 10th. It was raining. Oh yeah. you didn't, We didn't realize exactly, like, the tent company didn't even realize exactly what that would mean for the tent. We thought that everything was sloped away, so we would be fine. Instead, there was, like, little rivers running through the tent. It was terrible. Um, People were freaking out. It was freezing. Um, At the same time, uh, we had an issue with snafu with our pre-sale tickets that year. And so our pre-sale tickets, we had the lines to get in. And it was totally my fault and in a lesser extent, my mom's fault. Um, I had to run to get change because we didn't have enough change. I'd been doing pre-sale tickets and my mom, who was trying to help and doing her best, um, I didn't explain to her quite enough of what I wanted to do. And so, I ran because we were almost out of change and she started scanning tickets and it went from me scanning a ticket like every 10 seconds and basically keeping the line fine to her scanning a ticket approximately every two minutes. So when I arrived back like 15 minutes after the show opened, there were people in line with presale tickets that were so angry, and I got it because, you know what, they were in line waiting for 15 minutes, some of them in the rain, while people that didn't pre-sell, pre-buy pre tickets were walking by and paying cash and going right in. And so we got there, we broke the line, we did that, and then my wife, who manages Facebook for me, um, or for us while the show's going on, uh, after right after we break this line is texting me going, should I start deleting these negative reviews that we're getting that line? And I'm like, oh my God. And then right then Eugene Jarvis shows up. <laughs> and and he's like, hey, Dan. And I'm like, hey, Eugene. And he's like, how is it going? And I was like, oh, Eugene is going great. And he like, okay, what's wrong? and i was like i was like seriously and i told him i said like and that week by the way leading up to the show there was all of this other crazy stuff there's weird arcade laws or tournament laws in wisconsin that we had just been informed of and i had been threatened to uh get to go to jail if we were going to do stuff the way that we were supposed to do it which i didn't think was illegal and quite frankly i don't know why it started with them saying that they would take me to jail but that's where it started and uh we were the ones that told them what we were doing. So I wasn't trying to do anything sneaky. Um, there the next day I was asked, Hey, we just wanted to confirm the shirt order for you guys. Um, we've got $25,000 worth of shirts coming. And I was like, Holy hell, that's way more money than the show has ever made in all of its life combined. No, And so we had to like all these disasters. I was just like, so stressed. And yeah, then I've got Eugene just bubbling over like, Hey, I'm like, Oh (laughs) my God. And he, we're walking down the hallway. And as we're walking down the hallway, he's like, okay, what's actually going on? And I said to him, I said, look, I'm trying to get everything to go right. I'm trying. It's just everything. Everything keeps going wrong. Everything that I'm doing just keeps going wrong. And he goes, Oh, I I've been there. He said, I know exactly what's going on. He said, you're so close to the details. It's like when I make a game, I see every flaw that the game has and I want to fix those and I can't make it perfect. And it drives me nuts. And he said, but I want you to do something. I was like, yeah, he goes, take a step back and look around. And I was like, and we're still walking. I'm like, okay. And he goes, this is You know (laughs) i And I was like, okay. And he goes, this is one of the best fucking things in the whole fucking world. And I was like, wow. And all of a sudden, I literally went like, Mm -hmm. you know what? If Eugene Jarvis is saying that this is that great, who am I to say that he's wrong? Done. (laughs) And uh, he, he just literally, he completely changed my mood on it. And he said, look, he said, yeah, there's going to be a couple people that aren't going to be very happy. There's going to be 10,000 people here this weekend. You're going to hear from the 10 that aren't happy because you're the one close to the details. The ones that
1: complain are always the loudest, always.
0: Yeah, yeah. well, and a lot of the times, the complaints, some of the complaints are legit. Some of the complaints are really legit, and I like listening to complaints usually. But there's also times where there's nothing that I can actually do for the complaints. Right. And... We we as a show have a policy, and I was kind of losing my mind at the time, so I wasn't very good at this, but we had, as a show have a policy that if you don't understand what the show is, I'm not going to fix it for you. A couple of years ago, I had someone who <clears throat> I was dropping off a flyer at a show, or not a show, a store in town, and I was asking the manager there, oh, can I put this up? And he goes, oh, yeah, but I, I don't know. that I'm going to keep it up because I hate that place. Really? Why? Tell me. Tell me what's wrong with it. He's like, oh yeah, I went last year. It was terrible. Okay, why? Well, I I I talked to them before the show, and I said, you know, are you going to have time crisis there? And they said, yeah. And they didn't have time crisis there, so it was terrible. One game. And I said, I said, wait, who did you talk to? And he goes, oh, I talked to the guy in charge. And I said, really? Because I'm the guy in charge of the arcade games coming to the show. And I've never told anybody what games are coming to the show because arcade games are temperamental. So who told you that? And he's like, "Oh, well, it was someone who's in charge." I was like, "Who?" Because there's an issue here. If anybody that I'm working with is telling you that, because that's a show policy. We don't we don't say which games in case they change. Because I don't want someone to hear like. Oh, you're going to have America's most haunted pinball machine there. And then America's most haunted pinball machine dies and we have to take it off the floor. And then they're pissed that it's not there because I promised it. So we just don't promise it's, you know, show up and you get what you get. It comes out. Oh, well, a bus driver told me it would probably be there. And I was like, well, I can't solve that. And he was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, well, you know, you you really need to think about how you're promoting it. And I said, you know what? Don't come. (laughs) And he goes, and he goes, what are you talking about? And I said, I can never promise to you that I'm going to have a time crisis machine there. I said, even if someone told me that we're going to have a time crisis machine at the show, if coming to the show, that machine breaks, right? I can't promise to fix it. I said, that's not something I can do. I said, you know what? You can go on Google and find a time crisis machine, and you'll have more fun if that's what you need to do there than coming to my show, because I will never promise that to you. I said, I will promise that if you come in with an open mind, you'll have a good time, but. If you need one specific thing, go to a place that has it. There are and so many
1: other things hey. to do at the convention. I mean, uh, right. at the show, right? You know, it's well, like, oh my gosh, you have so much. Uh, it's just, it's overload. It's sensory overload. You have, you know, the computer museum and the, the arcades and the pinballs, and then you have two floors of it. And then you've got, you know, I don't know, you had subs one year and <laughs> snacks in one area. And then you had, <clears throat> you know, you just have so much going on. Yeah, so,
0: well, and you'll love this because the end of the story is I, I literally was like, yeah, just don't come. It's fine. And he, and he goes, well, you know, if you do it to everybody, you're not going to make any money. So well, that's fine. I said, if, if I can't make money making a show with people that are happy to be there, that's fine. I just need to break even. That's all that I'm really trying to do. And I say, you know, what? if you want to take down the flyer, that's fine. Thanks. I'll see you. And I start walking out. And he goes, I'm still probably coming. <laughs> I there. And I was like, man, like, and that's the thing is that we don't, we don't target those people that need that one thing because yeah. I can't make those people happy. We target the people that realize this is a show about people. It's not actually about the games. It's about the people that love the games and playing them together and sharing that love together and sharing that love with your kids and sharing that love with your family and taking your dad there. My dad was big into star Wars for the 2600. And there's a part of the show that part of the reason that we do it honestly is because my grandfather who introduced me to arcade games when I was little, who was no longer with us and had basically didn't get to see any of this. he, Showed me the love of gaming, and I want to share that. And everybody gets together and does that together. It's like some beautiful, amazing thing, and I'm Mm -hmm. I'm honored that I get to be part of it. I I was gonna. It's crazy to me that I'm the guy in charge.
1: (laughs) I was just gonna ask, what do you find most rewarding? I think you just answered that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's true. I I a couple years ago, two years ago, and this was the year after because the year after the Eugene Jarvis. fucking Dan off the cliff uh, episode happened we were basically like look we need to take stuff off of us again and again more volunteers stepped up and last year and the year before I have now a seven year old son he was five at the time and he really likes pinball and arcades and stuff like that and I took him into the, the hall and we hung out playing pinball and did it for an hour on saturday and literally we didn't need to play any of the games that were like the most popular but we found a way to walk from game to game and it was it was magical it was something that i never thought that i would get to do in the quote-unquote real world with my son because arcades were going away they were gone yeah. before we had him and it was like this is what this is all about it's sharing it with other people
1: yeah, I love the social aspect's always been a big part of what we talk about on the show, and having a convention or a show like this is just and, and we, within proximity, right? I have to drive five hours to get there, but it it's totally worth it <clears throat> because um, th- this is the biggest show within proximity, and then there's CACs and all these other, and there's a couple shows in Houston, a uh, couple shows in Chicago. But, yeah, so I, I really enjoy it. Um, the, the other thing well, I was... I was going to say one, and, one little anecdote to your Eugene Jarvis story is um, I didn't know he was coming to the show, um, and I didn't really care who was going to be there. I just knew that the show was fun, and I was going to meet up with my friends and whatever, and I had a buddy of mine that was going out there, and he's a big pinball fan. We went to Tom Taylor's deal, mm-hmm. but I went to... Uh, <clears throat> Went to uh, have lunch in the in the um, in the restaurant at, at the Sheraton, which is where the, you were setting up all the panels at that point. I don't know what you're going to do this year because they've redesigned that and it's totally cool. But um, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm having lunch, and there's this guy talking, and I look, I glance over there, and he's he's answering questions and talking about his company, and I'm, I'm like, D- that's that's Eugene Jarvis. And I had no idea it was going to be there. And I, I just recently, I think, uh, within a couple of years acquired a Robotron uh, cocktail. And, um, and, uh, even when I was in the nineties, when I was running all the, the emulation games, um, some of the collections had some videos of Eugene Jarvis talking about the games that he created. And so I, I had, I had, I I'd sort of become a fan of his without really thinking of it. And I was like, that's awesome that he's here. I was like, I had no idea that, that, um, you were raking in some of these experts and there's some pinball guys that are big and I don't, forgive me. I don't know their names and stuff, but they're, they're there almost every year. You have a lot of good connections and I got to ask, eugene jarvis a couple of questions i got his autograph it sits under the glass of my robotron uh yeah just, just a really genuinely nice guy he let me interrupt and talk to him take a picture with him just a super super cool guy so um
0: yeah no he's he's amazing the first year that he came to the show it he he's the only person that i have because i only like seem to remember one main thing from the show each year he's the only guy that i have two memories from because there was that that he completely changed like my mood and a few years before that the same type of thing, exact same hallway that the security guard pulled me over the following year. Um, it was his first year at the show, and he's walking down um, the the hallway there, and he sees me and goes, damn, come here, come here, come here. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And again, I was thinking like, oh, man, um, what did we screw up? I, I must have told him something, and this is not his, what he was expecting or whatever. So I was like, yeah, what's up? And he goes, I just have to tell you that I just played a Vectrex. That was the coolest thing. I can't <laughs> believe that we have Vectrix this year. That is so cool. I love the Vectrix. All right, I got to go. I got to go play that thing again. See ya. And then he walked away. And I was like, all right. That's There's awesome. There's a kid in a candy and so, store. Um, he, a couple of years ago, I we actually got someone donated to the show Vectrix. So we actually had a double of it. And I was like, you know what? I need to give him the Sue Gene. So we gave him a Vectrix a couple of years ago oh, cool. for all the help that he's done with the show. So, and yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing that's crazy about it to me is that the, the industry alumni love the show. And it, I'm, part of it, I think, is that for me, what I've told them is just like, if you come up here, Most of them are in Chicago, so it's up here for them. I say, if you come up here, I just want you to relax and celebrate what you've helped accomplish. And I say, you know, if if you want to talk about it, cool. If you want to do other stuff with it, cool. But I just want you to come up and relax and have fun. And I have... Like so many different designers and artists and stuff like that that have come to the show and some of them we we, my rule of thumb is all they want to do is just say that you've come to the show and you don't have to even do anything if you don't want to and so many of them are just like oh my god I love this thing I want to do so much more for it and so like Jeffrey Lee creator of Q-Bert a couple years ago we, we meet because of a party that I go to because of the show. That's an arcade party for someone in Chicago. And they introduced me to him and he's like, yeah, I I would love to come up. I haven't really been seeing." He does stuff, tons of stuff now involved in the industry. And it all kind of started because he started doing another show. And it's so unique that it's this place where people get to come see that and celebrate what, what they got to do. And so, yeah, I, I love it. It's, it's, I tell people this and it's completely true. If I didn't love it, I wouldn't be doing it because I could totally make more money working at McDonald's like hourly, uh, making burgers than doing the show the show doesn't really make money. If it was about making money, we would have given up on it years ago. It's about bringing people together. And I have so many friends and stuff like that, that I know because of the show. And it's, it always makes me have some like little faith in humanity that we can have 10,000 people come together and basically have a good time for a weekend, um, where we just forget any differences and enjoy the things that bring us together.
1: That's great. So tell us one more time, uh, when is the show and tell us how we get tickets.
0: Sure. Show is uh, April 7th, 8th and 9th. The 7th is the VIG pre-party. If you don't get tickets in the next, I don't know, 24 hours, I don't know. There'll still be tickets available. They've been selling really quickly for that. Um, the 8th and the 9th are theoretically unlimited ticketed days, but if we got to capacity, we'd close. However, we haven't been really that close to that yet. Uh, you can get them at, buy at if you want to go all the way, you backslash buy-tickets, dash backslash. Um, there's also other stuff there. There's some merchandise that you can get before the show, such as uh, pre-order shirts and stuff like that. And uh, there's also, you can get involved with the show. I'm pretty sure that you guys follow me through there. And you can contact us and get involved if you're a collector or someone out there that wants to share something with people. I welcome you to uh, send a message. Chances are if it's content related, I'm going to get back to you. It's me who replies to almost every email. Um, And if it's not me, there's only one or two other people and they're all awesome people. And we, we help get people to figure out how they can do stuff that is really going to show off different aspects of, uh, of our hobby in new and creative ways. And we're, we're excited to keep doing it. I'm, I, I, you had mentioned before, like you know, oh well, there's packs and packs. I always think of as a completely different show because whether they want to be or not, they're an industry show. They're all about showing off, like oh hey, here's the brand new stuff that's coming, and we are a trade show for fans. We're, we're the fan show that people get together and show off what they want, not what you the industry wants them to buy, okay. not what the next big thing is, but what they think is worth showing off and i mean it's it's everybody that comes together and makes it happen that makes it so special
1: yeah that's well and that's you you got your repeat offenders like eugene and ben heck and now you have freeze and brian collin and it's, it's going to be a good show so thanks for evangelizing uh mgc here with us tonight it was uh quite a pleasure to have you on the show so
0: well, thank you, and I mean, thank you guys for evangelizing that. It. It, it again, if it wasn't for people like you guys that are willing to talk about it and say, "Hey, this is worth going to," the show would close. Um, if we, if we have a year where people go, you know what, this just isn't worth it for me. Again, it's not corporate-backed. It's not anything like that. The show will close, but every single year, we've had more and more people say, no, I want to help with this. I want to make this bigger and better than it ever has been before. And that is podcasts that are spreading the word. That's people like you guys that bring a game to share. That's people that put up a poster or a flyer at work and just put it on the wall, and maybe one other person hears about it. It's people that pre-order their tickets. It's people that don't pre-order their tickets and just show up at the show and have a good time people that bring their kids it's it's everything it's we literally could not do it without every single person that's involved with the show and that's that's what i think is so special about it it's, it's not like another show where you know what packs is going to go on whether 10 people show up for it or not minus gaming classic if 10 people didn't show up for it it would change the actual show and that's insane but it's so cool that together we created something like that
1: yeah it's great so all of we had a huge chat list today so thanks for everyone that joined in the chat tonight listening we really appreciate it it's uh the double r's that's arcade radio arcade radio.com please join us at any time at arcade radio.com or email us at react at arcade radio you can always dial in on the game line 612-548 game and follow us on facebook the youtube channel you can follow us right on youtube itunes google play music uh and soundcloud right guys something like that's right so this is where we dance this is where we dance and mark takes his pants off pants. finally <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> all right